Kaylin Swartz. Welcome to On The Whistle podcast. We are so thrilled to have you. You're our first World Cup participant to appear post the 2023 tournament. Kaylin, I've got to start by asking you, what an event. I mean, for women's sport, it was just phenomenal, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was great. But firstly, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> it's obviously an honor. Um, but yeah, like the World Cup has been crazy. I mean, every day it was, you know, some like the day before was more exciting than ever. And, you know, it was just mind blowing, actually, to see how much we've grown. Like, obviously, from 2019 till now, it's it was such a massive uh, massive event and I think 2019 was big but this one was massive like it was huge I think it also just shows how much we've put into the women's game and um, but yeah every day was awesome it was yeah I literally loved my dream so it was amazing to be a part of it yeah but not just your dream I think you lived a lot of a lot of our dreams really and I, I'm kind of starting at the end but I want you to talk about that game against Italy because I was watching at home. Um, part, I, I was saying on the podcast, you know, part of my other job is I'm a yoga teacher and I was actually doing a headstand when the second goal came and I fell because <laughs> I got so excited and almost broke my neck because I was like, oh my God, we've scored, we've scored. Just what did that feel like? And of course, then to win the game, which was even bigger, like, how did you feel? You know, sometimes people ask me this question all the time, but it's so hard to explain like what you feel in the moment, you know, because you're so present, you literally don't think about anything. And I feel like it's such an out-of-body experience, really, because like you're living in the moment, but yet you still, your mind obviously goes to, you know, the excitement part and like, you know the thrill of it, and yeah, it was it was a it was a crazy game. I mean, to, for us to you know go up to and when they obviously scored early from the penalty, obviously that was a punch in the gut. But I think the fact that we showed so much character and like we literally rose to the occasion, and I don't think anyone expected us to come back like that. You know, and obviously when we scored and they equalized so late in the game um it was it was a tough it was a tough couple minutes to you know recenter and like, just make sure that you know we're still stuck in the game and there were because there was so much more for us to give you know even though it was what the 60th 70th minute but the fact that we fought until the dying end just showed like that we wanted it more you know like we knew that what if we can achieve this massive um you know milestone for us and also just to tick off our objectives coming into the tournament it was obviously to you know go into the next round but you know when we played I think it was more about the game against Argentina which was more the toughest ball to swallow because if we had won that you know Italy wouldn't have been such yeah. a high game so yeah so but the Italy game was crazy and the fact that we scored so late and you know and to, for us to hold them so well for 15 extra minutes was madness. And <laughs> like, still, like, just thinking about it now, it's like, wow, we actually did that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're speaking about that Argentina game, and I guess 
that one was the, the really early in the morning one. So a lot of us didn't wake up at 2 a.m. But uh, <laughs> we saw the highlights and, and, and the two goals Argentina put past you looked like goals that pretty much no one could stop. You know, they, they were really, really good goals. Did it feel like that? Did it feel like, wow, these girls are good? You know, when we went into that game, there were so many things that, you know, that we were thinking about and what the outcome could have been, but, um, or what it could be. But I think also we just focused on ourselves, really. Like this whole tournament, like all we did was focus on ourselves because we knew exactly what it was going to take for us to get to the next round. And um, I think our performance against Sweden really set us up pretty well for the tournament because um I mean we literally went pound to pound against Sweden I mean it was just unfortunate that you know we lost that game but going into Argentina was obviously we thought that this was our chance to you know get three points and whatnot but we have to give credit to Argentina I mean those two goals were pretty much they were like professional like well-taken goals you know so Yes, people would say, oh, I could have done better. But if you look at how those goals were executed, there's really no, you, you can't really say anything else but credit them for, you know, those clinical finishes. But, you know, when we, and when we finished that game, it was like we literally tried, we gave everything in that match. And I think leaving that field, I think we all felt so, so defeated because, that was the one that we really wanted, you know, like that was the three points we wanted. But it it was obviously going to Italy, we knew we needed to forget about it and, you know, dust ourselves off. And that those couple of days after the Argentina game, training was just so different. So I think we all, yeah. So we all kind of knew that, you know, this is our moment. Like we can really, like, you know, upset Italy and you know surprise the world so yeah I think it was just a collective effort and you know just us all coming together and just you know showing our character and just showing the hard work that we've put in you know over the last you know couple of years or so and also the weeks coming into the tournament was it was crazy our mentality was so different like this is probably the best we've been in a very long time and I think our coach will say that too yeah. You say the training was different. Was it more relaxed or more clinical? No, I was it was relaxed, but everyone was just we were workhorses. Like we just whatever they threw at us, we just took it. Even though it made us mad, we just took whatever they gave us and you know, we just tried to execute everything to the best of our ability. And I think that's also what led us to where we got to, because like every day everyone was everyone bought in like we knew that it's going to take all of us and I think it was just the excitement but also the fact that everyone was willing to work hard and give everything I think that was really something that even I'm sure a lot of the you know this backroom staff will also say like just the atmosphere was just different like we knew we knew what was at stake and I think we all really wanted it so yeah we just we yeah we just yeah, we were mentality monsters. We literally took over <laughs> local Tantra. <laughs> nice, nice. And can I ask you about those crowds? I mean, we haven't really seen crowds like this for a women's event. And when you guys played in front of, I think, 50,000 people in that Netherlands match, and a lot of them were shouting for you, I imagine. What did that feel like? Was it pressure? Was it fun? That, I think that, for me, is probably one of my core memories from the tournament. It's just the fact that we had 
you know, near sellout crowds for our game. And, you know, like we actually realized that people actually wanted to watch us, you know, like they actually wanted to come out to the stadiums and watch us. I had one of my friends from, she was in Brisbane and she did everything she could to make it to Sydney to get to our game. So things like that. And like, you know, people that didn't know us, you know, wanted to see us and wanted to watch us. So, you know, playing in crowds like that was honestly probably the best feeling in the world, only because, you know, women's football, yes, it's growing, but the fact that we had such huge crowds, I mean, the Netherlands game was massive. The fact that we had, what, almost 45, 46,000 people watching us. And, you know, most of our games were pretty close to sellouts from where we played. So, it was it was unreal. Like there's just no better thing to witness than to have, you know, a stadium full of people watching you play. Yeah, and I guess it was the same throughout the tournament for a lot of the teams, but especially the underdogs. So I want to ask you about our, our African sisters. You know, we all cheered Nigeria <laughs> so hard, Morocco so hard, even Zambia at the end. How did you feel watching those guys progress? I mean, you know them well. You've played them at the Afcon and. I don't know whether you like them, even though they are. <laughs> I mean, did it feel good? No, it, it felt great because, you know, we were really putting Africa out there. Like we really showed what, you know, the African teams are made of. And I think the underdog title is not a bad thing. You know, I think we really rose to the occasion. And um, now I think they'll respect us more, you know, and I think that's also something that we've gained from this tournament was the respect that we well deserve because I mean, all f you know, all of us representing Africa, we're all pretty good nations, we good teams, and I think Nigeria really showed themselves against England. I think that was their their statement game, and um, obviously for us against Italy, you know, Morocco. Yes, they didn't start well, but the fact that they ended with a win and you know try to you know really show up against France, but. You know, those are things that people are going to remember. You know, um, uh, we obviously did Africa proud and, you know, we have AFCON next year. So that's where we get to shine again as, you know, proud Africans and, you know, just show our flag again. But yeah, it was massive. Um, obviously, Zambia didn't go as far as they wanted to. But I think all of us really showed what we've been capable of doing. And I think it's not the last time that, you know, they'll see us at the big stage. Um, obviously, Olympics is coming up and that's obviously something that we really want to, you know, perform at too. So, yeah, God willing, it all works out, you know, for Paris next year. But, yeah, everyone's pretty excited for it. But, yeah, no, the African team, we really showed us ourselves this year. Yeah, and I guess now it's kind of like the what next, right? Because everything's gone so well. We're all so excited. But now, you know, we've heard lots of your teammates talking about the need for a professional league. We've heard Zizi Kodwa, the Minister of Sport, speak about it. Um, for you, what is the next step that football has to take in Africa and in South Africa so that you can qualify for the next World Cup, hopefully we host the next World Cup, and, and so that you can go even further? Well, for us, especially for us in South Africa, um, a professional league is what we need. Like, it's not a want anymore. Um, that's something that we need only just to elevate our sport again. You know, like, yes, it's okay for us to compete at the national level and whatnot, but if our domestic league is competitive and, you know, we are playing 
twice, three times a week or twice a week, um, it will just benefit a lot because now, you know, then the gap will be lessened between us and the, you know, the players playing abroad, you know. So I think professionalizing our league will just give us more focus because obviously a lot of us are working. So we, we're not full-time athletes. So if they professionalize the league, I think a lot of our focus will be purely on football and, you know, able, you know, for us to, you know, be better athletes, better players and, you know, just have the resources to make ourselves better. So, yeah, that will definitely be a massive boost for the national team because then, you know, the junior teams will benefit too because, you know, we'll have youngsters coming into the league and who knows if the league professional, maybe people would want to come and play in South Africa, you know, so that would also be, something that, you know, some athletes will look at and be like, you know what, let's go play in South Africa because, you know, it's a beautiful country, but also the fact that we have so much talent in our country, I think if they professionalize it, I mean, we can attract, you know, these players abroad and hopefully, you know, it'd be good enough for our players to come back. And, you know, so that's only, that will only benefit the national team massively, but also for us as individuals, like, None of us want to work. <laughs> you know, I'd love to play football all day, every day, and, um, you know, going to training whenever I want to. So, yeah, that would obviously be the dream in the near future. But, yeah, I think that would be, you know, I hope that's a priority for our federation right now. Yeah, so, so you mentioned yourself. You've obviously got another job. What's that job? <laughs> yeah, so I work at a school. Um, okay. My school's actually we're on a break right now, so midterm break. But... Um, yeah, I work at Saheti School out in Linksfield. It's a Greek school, and um, I literally do whatever. Like, I coach all sports. I help the teachers if they need to. Um, sure. So, yeah, I, I work right through the day, and obviously um, I do, like, private lessons now and then with kids just for some extra money, just to compensate, you know, the hours of, you know, with football is not, obviously not enough. Too. you just love not even so, with yeah. your prize money now that you guys are getting an extra boost <laughs> no that's the thing like obviously you want um you know stable income and so obviously you have to I have to work like that's not something that you know I want to do but I have to just to you know sustain myself but yeah like obviously I would love to play professionally like I would love to call myself a professional I <laughs> I tell people I'm a full-time worker, I'm a part-time footballer. <laughs> okay, it's so strange because our listeners, and a lot of them will be based overseas, will be hearing the story, and it's almost not going to make sense to them to hear like a World <laughs> Cup player saying, I've got a job, I, I, don't, I need to earn money, I can't play professionally. And, you know, it all speaks to like the structures of, of the way football is, is run in this country. So, you know, things have improved. And, and can you tell me from the time you started, and I mean, I know you started playing very young, to now has it improved enough or like what tangible thing can you say has changed? Although I don't know if it has that much because you say you still have another job. Yeah. I mean, obviously when I started playing um, competitive football was obviously started in high school when I went to the boarding school at high performance center in Pretoria at Tux. Um, and at the time, the only league that was available for us to play was obviously Sasa league. It's been around, for what, 10 plus years or so. And um, the Sasa League was obviously the biggest league to play in back in high school. And um, it's people were not getting paid. We were playing, we 
you obviously go to school, you train at night, or, you know, sometimes teams don't even train, they just pitch up on a Saturday, and we play. So, yeah, a lot has changed, obviously, now with um, the Hollywood Bet Super League. Um, it's, it's, it's massive for us as a country, but it's still not enough for us to, you know, deem it as a professional league. Um, I would say it's semi-pro, an amateur yeah. league, just, you know, so... Um, yeah, it's 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 crazy to think how far we've come. Yet there's still so much more to do. Um, and I think, you know, I think the lo- the first year the league was the league started. Um, we weren't like we obviously were getting um, money for transport to get to training and stuff like that. So there's just a little stipend, um, and you know we were traveling by bus to games. And- um, sometimes we'll jump in our cars and, you know, try and get everyone in. And so, yeah, it's it's a massive, massive difference now because obviously we fly to different cities now, but it's still it's still not enough because sometimes we have to fly on the day because there's not enough money to, you know, to um, or you travel by bus on the same day, travel early in the morning just because there's not enough money to accommodate us, you know, the night before. And things like that. So, yeah, obviously the clubs try their utmost best to, um, you know, provide the the necessities. But I must say JVW is trying really hard to make us seem, like, to make us feel like professionals, even though, you know, it's hard because we're an independent club. And obviously a lot of the things, like a lot of the money and financial stability comes from, you know, a little bit of sponsors or donors and stuff like that. So, yeah, it is hard. It's hard to travel four, five, six hours on the bus and play, you know. Um, so, yeah, like this weekend, our league starts and we travel by bus and we play on the same day. So, yeah, those are just wow. some of the... Yeah, so that's... I mean, that's quite, a, that's quite a change, right? You've gone from a World Cup with 50,000 people watching you to taking a bus to, I don't know where you're going, where, where you're headed to this weekend. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's massive. It's sure. wild. Like lost, like just two two weeks ago, you know, we were flying to, you know, yeah. Dunedin or we were flying to Wellington. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's that's just one of the challenges that we have to face with, you know, playing here and um, obviously the league not being where it needs to be. But I mean, nobody wants to drive on the same day after the game, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, but I mean, it's also it's just it's also nice. Like it's a it's a great feeling because when we fly or when things are gonna be great, I think we'll look back at you know all of the struggles that we've had to endure and you know the obstacles of driving on a bus and you know not flying to mm. different cities or to you know stay the night before so you're well rested on game day and. So yeah, those are just some of the things that not many people will realize that what we have to go through. And obviously, you know, a lot of us have to take unpaid leave if we travel sure. during the week. So yeah, so a lot of my teammates all struggle because most of us are working. Um, you know, we don't have the luxury of, you know, all of us, you know, training twice a day or training in the afternoon, having the rest of the day off. Um, but yeah, like obviously just a little bit of my day, like if I go to school, um, I'm there until three, three, four, maybe four o'clock, depending on what event's happening. And then I have training at six to nine. So it's just sure. like, yeah. So those are just some of the things like, you know, that 
me, myself as an individual that has to work during the day. And sometimes we, some of us are so exhausted when we get to training <laughs> because, you know, so not every day is going to be the same. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we struggle with that a lot. But come game day, you would never say that, you know, none of us are like full-time players. Like we all obviously have a day yeah. job and... Um, Especially during the week, if we have to travel on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, those are the tough ones. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's those are just some of the things that would be, you know, that would fall away once, um, you know, if we do become professionalized or if most of us play abroad, that would, you know, mean the world for, to us only because then we can just focus on football and provide for our family and stuff like that. So. Yeah, of course. I mean, you, you're speaking about all these challenges of actually getting to training and then like training at, at your best, you know, where you're feeling good and you're not tired. But can I also ask about like coaching and, and facilities? Do you think that's improved with time? And, and like, are you getting, obviously with Desiree, you know, she's, she's a wonderful coach, but at club level, uh, do you think people are getting the best coaches? Are they getting the best type of facilities to train at the best resources, the ball, best balls or, you know, that sort of thing? Um, obviously, some clubs are more privileged than the others, um, especially with funding and, you know, the right. financial strength that some clubs have. And, um, yeah, I think across the board, no, it's not enough. It's not the best resources for us to perform at our best level, at our best. Hmm. But, you know, obviously, some clubs ha use what they have and, um, you know, the likes of Sundowns and TS Galaxy, they have the resources to, you know, have the best facilities or, you know, the best travel accommodation and stuff like that. But, I mean, once you get on the field, we're all equal, you know. So that's that's the great part of our football. Like, no matter where you come from, what you have to endure, once you hit, those four lines, you know, everyone's, you know, fighting for one goal, which is to win the game or, you know, to be a champion or to just play the game we love. And all of those things fall away once you're playing. So only afterwards you realise, damn, I wish we had this. I wish we yeah, had Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, the facilities, I think that's also something that needs a massive improvement. It's just, you know, the adequate field and, you know, the level yeah. of what the fields look like and, you know, the conditions they're in. You know, sometimes we play at stadiums where it crosses, the grass is hella long. <laughs> and then, you know, we get to stadiums where there's no locker room or there's a small locker room. So there's there's a lot of things that go into it. But, um, yeah, so obviously some clubs have what it takes to provide these things for their players. But, yeah, some of us, we just roll with the punches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I asked you the facilities thing specifically because of obviously what, what happened pre the tournament. And I don't know how much you can say on that. From the outside, you know, we saw that there was a, a pitch provided that you girls didn't want to play on, and understandably so. D did that affect you? Did you feel like, oh, we're going to the World Cup, we haven't even played our warm-up game, like, what are we going to do? Um, I wouldn't say affect us, but obviously we did. We had the thought of it in the back of our minds. Yeah. It was like, obviously this is a game that we need to play to be ready. and But we weren't ready to compromise our... Um, health and safety and also the fact that we we knew and we we respected ourselves to know that we respect we expected better than that you know and um, a lot of it was you know just 
the equal treatment like that's all we wanted like um we always said like if the boys won't do it why do we have to do it you know so yeah so a lot of it was just us not feeling respected and we felt disrespected um you know because obviously the field wasn't the greatest um and also the fact that a lot of the PSL games were not, were banned from using that stadium so like the fact that they thought it was okay for us to play on that field was obviously something that we were not happy with so yeah it was just us about it was just about us being respected as you know athletes and you know playing for the national team like you want to be treated as a professional and um i we just thought that that wasn't what we were getting and i think it was we were we needed to take a stand whether it was for that or anything else just to show that you know we're gonna try and do everything we can now for the next generation to benefit from because if we come back in 10 years and it's still the same then what have we done you know so if we if it if it means us standing up for a little bit of the you know the benefits that we deserve then who knows maybe it will help the next generation because I mean, if we have to take the stand now for them to be better, then I think we'll continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, did it did it feel risky? Because did you kind of wonder, oh, are we going to get to this World Cup if we do this? Or are we going to be left at home and they send another team? <laughs> or You know, it must have felt quite scary. Yeah, I, I mean, not. I won't lie. Like, a lot of us had that feeling of, wow, like, yes, what we're doing is big, it's massive, but I mean, I don't think any of us really thought about the consequences. Because <laughs> we were so in the moment, because we knew that if we stood tall and we fought for what is right and what we deserve, then if we have to go down this way, then so be it. But, you know, so we really just took a stand. And the thing is, what what was beautiful about it, yes, it was bad in other people's eyes, but the fact that we stood together and we knew what we were doing, like we knew what we were fighting for. And the fact that we fought 23 strong, like we knew that if we stuck together, no one can break us. And I think that transcended into the field because if you think about it, our chemistry and our bond is right now, it's probably the strongest it's ever been. Like nothing will break us. And that's what we showed. Like, because we were so tired of being stepped on for so many years and, you know, not being heard. And, you know, we were fighting, losing battles. But I think now they really see that, you know, this team is not to be messed with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then you speak about that team unity and we saw you guys loving each other's success, you know, celebrating your goals with some very interesting, interesting moves out there. Um, <laughs> but I wonder for you personally, I mean, Obviously, you started all the games and, and you you must have really felt proud of yourself for that. But was there a sense that people are talking about, should it be you or should it be uh, Andy Ledlamini? Or like, did you feel like I'm competing with her or is she your mate? No, that's the beauty of it. Like, we are pretty good friends. Um, we are competitors. In I mean, we're fighting for the same position. Sure. Uh, and I mean, we've been together for many, many years. Like we've been together since the U under 20 national team. So um, we've always been competitors. Like 
as much as we were friends, we've always been competing for one position. Um, but I mean, none of us really were focused on that. We just did what we needed to do. And in the end, it was a coach's decision. And I mean, yes, of course, I'm proud of myself for, you know, donning the, the jersey and starting every game. But for me, I also just said, like, hard work pays off. And, like, I worked super hard for, you know, this World Cup only because I knew that I had it in me. Like, I, I don't know. A lot of people don't know. But a year and a half ago, I wanted to quit. Like, I wanted to give up football. Yeah. And I just thought, like, you know, if I just find the love and, the, you know, find my passion again and just have fun with it then who knows what can happen. And yeah, I think this World Cup obviously was a testimony to all the hard work that I've put in in the last year or so, just to get myself back to where I was. And, um, you know, because I did uh, have a dip in form for a little bit. And obviously in that moment is when I wanted to just give up football and, you know, continue with my day job and just go on with life. But um, yeah, I think also in the end, like I said, it's a coach's decision and, you know, she put a lot of faith in me and yes, I had some, you know, bad um, criticism and all of that, but I mean, it just fueled me. It just made me, um, you know, even stronger as a person, as a player. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, we qualified for the next round and I had a hand in that and obviously, yeah, so I think we just, we all worked hard and we deserve to be where we are now. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty difficult being a goalkeeper, right? Because oftentimes in the game, you'll have one or two or three jobs. And if you mess up one of those, all eyes <laughs> on you, you know, like think about yeah. Mary Earps and, the, and that penalty uh, in the final. So like, how did you deal with it? Did you read the papers? Did you listen to things? Did you shut it out? Like, how did you approach the game? Well, obviously, after the first, after the game against Sweden, that was our first game. Um, that's when all the, you know, the criticism started and, you know, people were saying, oh, I'm not good enough and I shouldn't be starting. And um, it was that, it was that night after the game when I realized that obviously um, social media is not, is never nice, but obviously now I'm on the, the wrong, like the bad end of it and, um, I just stepped away from it. Um, I deleted it. I didn't want to be part of it. Um, I just thought that if I step away from it, they will just, you know, help me mentally and I wouldn't have to be bothered, you know, worry about what people are saying about me because I knew I was strong, but now I'm stronger for it. Like mentally, like, yes, it was tough. There were some nights where, you know, I was struggling, like, you know, so just just the thoughts going through my head, like, oh, what are people thinking about me? But then again, I I knew what my purpose was and what I was what I worked towards. Um, so yeah, I just stepped away from it and I deleted it and I couldn't care less after you know throughout the tournament. And I must credit my teammates for you know isolating me from it because in the I think it was a day or two in after the Sweden game was, was when they realized, oh, you know, these things are pretty personal now. Like, you know, it's getting bad. And I think they realized that I stepped away from social media. And 
So they never really came to me with anything. So, I mean, I must credit them also for, you know, being by my side and, you know, not pondering on the things that they were saying about me or the team. So, yeah, it was it was probably the toughest moment for me, um, especially in my career, you know, just dealing with all of that, you know, what comes with social media. Sometimes you're a hero, sometimes you're a zero, but... Um, that's that's what the goalkeeper's life is, and um, I mean, I guess I chose the position for a reason, but not um, not knowing that I'd be, you know, at the end of you know bad um, criticism and just you know the nasty comments that I received from you know people that claim to you know watch or know women's football, and but in the end, I always said that they don't pay my bills. So I don't really care what they have to say about me um, because if they can do better in my position, then they, sh- then they should be where I am. So, um, yeah, I think that's also just my mentality that I, you know, built over the year or so because I went through a really tough, a really tough time mentally where I just didn't want to do anything anymore. Um, and, yeah, so I've built enough tools in my mind to to really like block out the noise and stuff like that. So yeah, it really helped me. And I mean, I just showed up every day, whether people said I'm bad or I'm good. I don't really care because every day at training, I showed up, I did what I needed to do. I fought for my country. I mean, we qualified for, you know, around 16, we beat Italy. So what more, what more do I need to, you know, worry about? Then, other than the fact that we, what we went there for, we achieved. And yes, against Netherlands, I think we could have, we could have gotten an edge over them. Um, but obviously, those two injuries really, really um, derailed the team quite a bit. But I mean, we showed ourselves until the last minute. And yeah, the mistakes happen. It happens to the best of us. But how we bounce back after every mistake is obviously. Is, also just shows the character that we've built within the team and, you know, the faith and the belief that we have in each other. Yeah, absolutely. And you spoke quite a lot about that kind of mental side of it, but just from a technical perspective, I mean, in New Zealand, it was was quite wet. And I mean, I know the the New Zealand winter is not a a very pleasant thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And then conditions would have changed a bit in Australia. Did you have to change anything technically just to deal with the way that play flowed? And, And was that quite interesting to go through as a process? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when you play at home, like it doesn't really rain as often as, you know, it was in New Zealand. And um, a lot of the training was altered towards the situation of if it's drenching, like if the field is drenched or if it's just nonstop rain. So, yeah, we we really trained to every situation that we were going to encounter. And um, I must obviously give credit to the coaches for, you know, dealing with that and obviously dealing with our mood swings whenever, um, you know, things weren't going our way. But I think the weather was crazy. Like one of the games, it was hailing. Like we were standing. Yeah. So the weather was terrible, but it was such a great experience because I don't think we'll experience anything like that back here, you know, in our country. And um, But yeah, every training session was you know, tailored to what was going to happen on the day or, you know, weather-wise and stuff like that. You know, if it was... And obviously, when we got to Sydney, it was hot and it was sunny and 
it was so foreign to us. We were like, wow, there's a sun. <laughs> because when we, because the, all the, the, all our weeks in Wellington, it was just gloomy and oh, rainy. And windy, hey. And windy. And so it was just, it was just bad weather throughout our time in Wellington. But literally, when we got to Sydney, we couldn't believe that the sun exists <laughs> because it felt so foreign to us that we were so excited that it was so hot. And but yeah, those are the things that obviously you have to deal with as you know, playing at an elite level is just adapting to the environment and you know, making sure that you do what it takes to you know. To prepare you for it because obviously you don't want to be blindsided by anything so yeah I think those are just some of the things that we try to you know use to our advantage was just trying to adapt as fast as we could yeah and and given that you've now gone through this journey and I mean I imagine that uh, Morocco next year is, is not going to be raining in in July or whenever they choose to to host that tournament. Do, do you feel like you're in the best place you could be to go and defend that Afcon title? And I mean, you've seen the other teams. Morocco themselves are are coming for you guys. Um, what what still needs to happen, and who should we be looking out for? Yes, I do think we're ready. Um, obviously, next Afcon will be totally different. Like it would be bigger and better than the previous one um, only because I think a lot of us has grown over this last year and obviously we saw what Nigeria was capable of doing um, you know we fought until the very end we gave a, a big account of ourselves to where we are as a nation but obviously Morocco Zambia everyone's going to come for us like now we if we're the team to beat now, I'm lo I love that title because that's what we 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 want. We want people to see us as you know a powerhouse in Africa. Um, so yeah, if if it means big and better competition, then I think it will just be a bigger and better tournament. Um, so yeah, that would be massive. And yeah, everyone's gonna come for us, but we're gonna come for them too because. Um, that would be great to be named, you know, back-to-back -back African champs. Like, that would be a huge, huge achievement for us as a, you know, as Banyana, but also for the Federation just to, you know, to see us. And I think whenever our backs are against the wall, we're always going to, you know, we're always going to perform. And um, that's the thing. That's the greatest thing about this team. Like, no matter what is thrown at us, we can always look, you know, think outside of the box to how we can, you know, overcome these things. But yeah, I think also as players, we've grown so much. We are better individuals. Um, and obviously together as a team, when we all come back together to prepare for AFCON next year, I think it's it will be even better than what we showed this year. Yeah, that I mean, it sounds like you're ready. You can go play it next week if, if we ask you to. <laughs> But can I ask about like kind of just your favorite opposition, or, or I mean, if you could pick one moment out of the last eighteen months? I mean, Afcon champions, round of sixteen at the World Cup. Uh, who's been the toughest you've played against to get there, and and what's been your best moment? Um, the toughest was definitely Sweden. Obviously, they were taller and bigger than us, and I mean, I'm not the tallest goalkeeper, but the fact that I was able to compete with these, you know two meters of, you know, sure goddess of females that they are. 
They are tall so, girls, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so no, I think that was definitely the toughest one. But also I think Argentina, only because there was so much pressure put on that game that um, you know, I think it was hard for us to really block out that pressure that we're feeling to win, you know, the pressure of us having to win. I think that was probably the toughest one. But I think my greatest game was I would say Italy. Um, but I think because we won and the manner we won, that obviously that will stick for me with me forever. But I think I had my best game against the Netherlands. Um, yes, obviously the mistake is what's going to hinder in people's minds and you know take away from everything else that I've done in that game. But for me personally, I think the Netherlands game was probably my best game only because um, it was around the 16, you know, that there wasn't the weather that was playing a part of, you know, the rain. And, and there stuff were a like. few great it, saves as well, right? I mean, you pulled up yeah, a few there but, that were amazing. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, when you when the pressure is not as high, I think that's when, you know, we perform at our best. But also, like I said, um, the injuries definitely took the sting out of the game. But I think for us, our best game was definitely Italy. Yeah, I think we would all agree with that. And for you, what's next? I mean, I know you said you, you're working and you're playing and, I mean, you're still young, so you've probably got at least an, another World Cup in you, right? Like, I mean, you must be targeting <laughs> that, surely. Um, where do you see things going in the next few years? Uh, I don't know if I have another World Cup in me, but um, I think right now, I think it's just focusing on the league and trying to finish as best as I can with JVW. Um, obviously, we would love to win the league in the second round. Um, but obviously, it's going to take a lot more than just me saving goals. And <laughs> so <laughs> my strikers are ready to put in some big goals for the team. But um, yeah, I think now it's just focusing on the league and making sure, you know, I perform at my best for JVW. And um, hopefully, you know, we qualify for the Olympics and AFCON. So those are obviously now in the like the near future things that I need to take off. But for me personally, I just want to keep growing as a person, as a player. And um, I don't know, people say I'm still young for a goalkeeper, but I don't know if <laughs> I go another four years. Um, it's not know, that long, another... right? No, I mean, this World Cup came by pretty fast. So who knows? what happens in the next four years. But yeah, I'm just going to continue to do what I need to do to stay in the best shape possible, um, you know, to compete at the highest level. But yeah, I'm not going to give up. I'm still going to obviously try my best to, you know, compete and, you know, do well for the national team. But I don't know. We'll see what happens in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, and I think you'll find a lot more people will be watching and paying attention. You know, it, it really like, ignited something in, in people where people want to watch and everyone wants to know like what's happening next. So I guess that must feel pretty cool. Yeah. And the thing is, obviously we want the exposure to grow. We want, you know, the league to be, you know, exposed to, you know, the whole world, not the world. So per se right now, but obviously to everyone in the country to have, you know, one or two games a week on TV, which obviously is the dream. Um, you know, we, so the more exposure we get, you know, the better support and, you know, people would be following us and watching us and who knows, hopefully we'll be able to fill the stadiums. Well, not fill it, but hopefully we have more than 200 people watching us. You know? 
<laughs> hopefully, so, hopefully yeah. more than 200, yeah. for sure. So those are the things that, you know, we hope for, especially in the league here at home. So, I mean, obviously, financial investment would be massive for every club in the league. Um, but, yeah, I think just hopefully the exposure, will, you know, will get, you know, people to recognize us and hopefully see that, you know, we are worth the investment and, you know, that women's football is obviously popular now and um, hopefully they'll, you know, look our way and not the men's way, but who knows, who knows what the future holds who for knows. us. And Kaylin thought just before we let you go, Spain ended up as, as champions. Uh, if, if we'd said to you a month ago, that's how it would have turned out. Uh, what who, who was your money on and, and were you surprised to see how well they did in the end? Oh, I was super surprised. Um, I For me, I thought Japan was going to go all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I I actually I actually had Japan and England in my final. Like, like, I thought, you know, at first I was like, yeah, if not us, I mean, I guess Spain and Japan can, I mean, England and Japan can make the final. <laughs> If not banana, why not just, you know, throw it out there? <laughs> yeah, but, I think yeah, a lot no. of people had Japan, yeah. Yeah, no, Japan was definitely the team, especially after they played against Spain. I, I thought, oh, this is a Japan we saw many years ago, you know, being on top of the game and just gliding through, you know, everyone. But, yeah, I was actually very surprised at Spain, but not, not really because I think – the Spanish have just grown a lot, you know. They've won under 17, under 20 World Cups. Like that alone tells you how much growth there is in the in their game. And obviously their league is thriving. Um so the, the, those are the things that a lot of countries need to look into, you know, is the development and also the domestic leagues. Like, you know, there's a reason why England is doing so well. Their league is thriving. You look at France, Spain, Japan, all these nations are they have massive leagues and there's massive investment. And if you think about how much Spain has grown over the last couple of years, that's a testimony to, you know, what the federation is doing and how much money they're pumping into it. So yeah, they definitely a blueprint right now. But um, I mean England played so well throughout the tournament. Yes, they didn't have the greatest start, but they showed why they are where they are and um I was actually kind of, I was pretty sad for England only because I, I follow the league so closely and you know I love English football so yeah it feels like I know a lot of these players only because like I follow so much of the game and um when we played against the Netherlands one of my mates um I've grown to you know build a friendship with it was Jackie Cronin because we've played the Dutch so much over the, you know, five, mm. six, seven years that, you know, you you see these players every day. You start to, you know, become friends with these players. And everyone was like, how do you know her? I was like, ah, oh, she's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, like, it's so exciting to see, like, how much, you know, women's football is being exposed to and um, how much it's grown. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's sad that it's over to just think like we were there two weeks ago and, yeah, we were watching the final on Sunday. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's been an amazing ride. I know. I, I agree with you. It is sad that it's over. It was a wonderful tournament. And, and yeah, thank you to you and, and Banyana Banyana who really 
think ignited something in a lot of South Africans. So you guys uh, really did an amazing job out there. Thank you for your time this afternoon, Kaylin. No, and thank you. Thank you for yeah. having me. It we'll see fun. you in 2027. Oh. I'm holding yeah. you to that. Fingers crossed. We'll see. <laughs>